Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's kind of a cool trick, and uh, maybe you've actually seen it done in person. I've only seen it, I think, on television. In fact, maybe given our talented and diverse community here, someone in the room could actually do the trick. I'm talking about the old pull the tablecloth out and not disturb anything on the table trick. You know how it works. There's a white tablecloth and there's glasses with water and maybe a vase of flowers. And then the magician comes along and somehow whisks the tablecloth away and nothing on the table is disturbed. It's all right where it was before. Now, I thought of that trick for two reasons. The first is that when no one was looking, at least I thought no one was looking, I tried it on Saturday. We were cleaning up from the field day picnic over by Luther's statue. There was a white tablecloth, a couple of items on the table. So I grabbed that cloth and pulled that sucker. It didn't work. (laughs) I guess I'm not a very good magician. The second reason I thought of the trick is because of the, uh, the gospel lesson just read. Jesus isn't a good magician either. The disciples approach Jesus, as they sometimes do in Matthew, and they've already got everything arranged on the table. Everything's arranged in their minds, as it always seems to be in Matthew, and they ask him a question, a really bad question. (laughs) Who is the greatest in the reign of heaven? They're doing what they do in other places in the Gospels. They're playing the game, the compare game, the compete game, the jockeying for position with Jesus game. Now, we don't actually know, the text doesn't tell us what specific rules they wanted to play the game with. We don't know precisely what they were thinking as to how to gauge greatness. Maybe it was um, who had had the most private conversations with Jesus. Maybe it was who had sat closest to him at table the last time they had eaten together. That was a big deal in the first century. Maybe it was uh, who most closely was following his teaching about doing righteousness, Matthew chapter 6. Or maybe, given the fact that the twelve are there, it's who had done the most miracles. Back in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus had given them authority even to raise the dead. Maybe it was that rule, maybe it was some other rule, we don't know, but they were playing the game, the compare game, the compete game, the jockeying for position with Jesus game. But Jesus is not interested in being a magician, and he's not particularly interested in letting his disciples continue in stupidity and utter folly. And so he pulls the tablecloth, and everything goes flying. He pulls the rug out from under them, and down they go. It's time to shake up their universe 
and to teach them about how it really is, now that God has come finally into the world to reign and to be king in Jesus. And so he puts a child in their midst and he refuses to answer their question, at least at first. He puts a child in the middle of them and says, greatest, you, you want to know about greatest? Let me tell you something, boys and girls. If you don't turn and become like children, you won't even get in. Can you hear the sound of glasses flying and breaking and vases being overturned and everything being rearranged to become like children? Now, does that strike you as an astonishing thing for Jesus to say? If it doesn't, then you're probably thinking like a 21st century American, not too surprising, I suppose, who thinks that children are somehow positive role models for adults. You know, everything I ever needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten. You know, if you could go back in time and say that to a first century Palestinian, everything I ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten, he would probably say to you, probably in Aramaic, something that would loosely translate as, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What are children in the ancient world? They are weak, and they have little or no social status or influence. Children are without understanding. That's why you have to train them up. Children have no power, and they cannot care for themselves, and they are not wise which is why the prophet Isaiah in the third chapter of his prophecy can depict divine judgment against the nation by suggesting that children will become their rulers. Children are not capable, and they are gullible, and they cannot provide for themselves, and they are utterly dependent upon the care of others. In other words, children are little kids and they are not great. And if the disciples of Jesus want to come under the blessing of what God the King is doing in their master, then they need to get this straight. Away with the comparisons, all of them. Away with the competing, all of it. Let go of the status, let go of the credentials and be needy, lowly, utterly dependent children. To such belongs the reign of God. If you approach Jesus with something in your hands, you will be sent away empty. If you come to him with nothing, like a child, then you will enter and receive everything he has to give.
How do we here in this community step down the road that leads to folly? Here in this place where God is reigning because his word is so powerfully and freely proclaimed and taught. What are the rules that we like to play the game by? Well, we use, not surprisingly, in an academic institution, we use intelligence, or at least a certain kind of intelligence, to nominate ourselves for the position of greatest. Now, there's nothing wrong with intelligence, but it gets you nowhere with Jesus. Another favorite is mission zeal. Because, after all, it is more pious to care about the lost than it is to be smart. <laughs> so who really cares about the mission of the church? And do you care as much as I do? And so we jockey. See, we jockey for position with each other. And we don't say that it makes us greater but why else would we care about it so much if that's not what we think? So pick your favorite gauge for greatness. Jesus overturns them all. Jesus shatters them all. He calls you to be a child, and that does not mean trusting, and it certainly does not mean innocent. It means needy. It means small and utterly dependent upon him. It means I no longer look at myself and I look at instead for the reign of God, <laughs> Jesus. And I say to him, I can't. Those are the words of a child. I can't. I can't fix myself. I can't make it go away. I need you. I need a savior to protect and to forgive me and to save me from myself. This is what it means to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Chief of sinners, though I be Jesus, shed his blood for me. He died that I might live on high. He lives that I might never die as the branch is to the vine. I am his, and he is mine, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, at this point, to be frank, the disciples' question has pretty much gone away, hasn't it? <laughs> but Jesus brings it back. He actually brings it back, and he fills it with new meaning. He says, therefore... Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the reign of heaven. Whoever is like a child is the greatest. That means that the one who is most in need, the one who is most unable, is the greatest. You are the greatest. Jesus came for people just like you and just like me, struggling, needy people. In this community, the greatest is the person who is the most in need. 
And this, this truth, will transform our community. It means that the brother who is in the deepest financial need, he is the greatest. Care for him. It means that the one with the deepest sorrow is the greatest. Care for her. Don't put a stumbling block in her path. It means that the brother or the sister who is being deceived or lured by temptation, he or she is the greatest. Go after him. Seek him. Bring him back. Today, some sorrow or loss or fear means that you are the greatest. Tomorrow, it will be someone else. This is the reversal of the reign of God. For those who would compete and compare and jockey, Jesus has nothing. But to the lowly, he reaches down and he cares for and he dies for and he rises for and he will come again for the children, for you and for me. And then, cared for, we turn and seek out the greatest in our midst and care for one another in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.